You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us on our continuing mission to explore intersectional diversity in infinite combinations. My name is Sarah Goldie, and thanks for tuning in. With me today are Grace Moore, Jarrah Hodge, and special guest Gray Miller, Executive Director of World Builders. Gray, can you tell our listeners a bit about yourself and World Builders and your history with Star Trek? Thank you. Honored to be here. I am the Executive Director, as you said. I've been working here for a little over a year, and it is the best job in the world and the best group in the world. World Builders was started by author Patrick Rothfuss to take some of his well-gotten gains from his books, Name of the Wind and Wise Man's Fear, and put it towards good. And now World Builders has turned into a fundraising and a bunch of geeks doing good for many different ways. Our ultimate goal is to have an inclusive community of geeks all enthusiastically creating sustainable change to make a better world. And we have a small staff that is spread out across the U.S., of course, during COVID times. And we also have World Builders Market, where we work with creators and make merchandise that uh, cool and geeky and fun things to go out in the world. So um, that's that's what I get to do. And it relates to Star Trek because, I mean, I, I was raised on the original series. Like that, that was, I, and I sort of skipped over the TNG and stuff. And now I've just really been loving Discovery and Picard and Lower Decks and things like that. So I kind of was at the beginning and at the end. I'll tell you, world builders, it's like we are a, a team of people all, you know, trying hard to go out and discover and create new things and make a better world along the way. And it feels to me like like Star Trek, like we have, you know, we use Notion database and I have a ready room in there where I, you know, on, online where I look at all my stuff that I have to do for the day. So we're so glad you can be here with us today. And thanks for having uh, Women at Warp participate in the World Builders fundraiser this year. Or was that last year? It was last year, but it was wonderful. And you sh- and you know, if you'd like to come this year, we'd love to have you. And how did it do this year? Or how did it do last year? It went really, really well. We raised over a million dollars for Heifer International. Our end of year fundraiser is always for Heifer International. And I just to give you an idea, like our average donation was between thirty to fifty dollars. And we raised a million, over a million total, which gives you an idea of how wonderful the geek community is coming together and, and wanting to help out with that. So That is amazing. Well, looking forward to the next one. So before we get into our main topic, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. Our show is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar per month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media to group watch-along commentaries to Patreon-exclusive merchandise. Visit www.patreon.com slash women at warp. And you can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to check out our Tee Public store with Women at Warp and other Trek designs at tpublic.com slash stores slash Women at Warp. This episode is brought to you by Blood of the Void, a Klingon live play TTRPG campaign. More from them later. So our topic today, which was suggested by Gray as his Patreon selection, is teamwork in Trek. And Gray, can you tell us why you selected this topic? Yeah, like, like I mentioned during the introduction, I, in my own head live out this kind of fantasy of the fact that, you know, we are we are trying to build the kind of world that Star Trek could exist in. And and that's 
literally what we are trying to do. And along the way, we get to enjoy a lot of geeky things. But in general, I always have leaned more towards Trek than, say, Star Wars, because Trek has more, you know, it's more of a group coming together to do something as opposed to an individual being the key. But I also have to admit that I suggested the, the, the topic because I thought, hey, let's let's take a look at how Trek mirrors the great teamwork that I have at World Builders. And I discovered at looking at the episodes that were recommended that my memory, it's kind of like the whole, you know, Kirk effect. Our memory of how, what a, what a rascal he was is a lot different than the reality. And my memory of how much teamwork was in Trek is not really match the reality, at least in classic Trek. In what way did that vary from classic Trek? I think one of the things that we found was a lot of the suggestions seemed to be like, rather than being an entire group of people working together, it was like one or two. Mm -hmm. And also, oftentimes, it was an entire group of people and one person trying to make up for all of their mistakes or their mishaps or things like that. Also, which doesn't seem to be. I mean, I mean, it made me really think about more about what is the definition of teamwork. And I think that it made me realize, you know, you have to have a group of people, all of whom are contributing in some way towards a common goal, as opposed to one person trying to save another or even a group of people trying to save another. You know, I guess it, it just changes the way that is. That being said, I did enjoy looking at some of the examples of teamwork, and I think that they do a better job than most at least trying to give everyone a a good role to play. Sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes not. When we get into the episodes, I'll definitely have some some opinions. Yeah, I definitely agree. I feel like there is a lot about team leadership in Star Trek, but there's less than you would think about a group of, you know, more than two people carrying out a concrete objective or a task together but there is a fair amount of implied teamwork through that like you were saying the shared purpose or the shared mission and i think because star trek really emphasizes the shared mission of to boldly go where no one has gone before and and the the -hmm. values of starfleet that that it implies a lot of teamwork that we don't actually necessarily get to see executed in the show yeah team starfleet definitely seemed to be the the really the only unifying theme, really. And Grace, what does teamwork in Star Trek look like to you? Well, when I first was starting to watch Star Trek, to make it personal, I, w- I had it kind of explained to me as, oh, it's kind of like a workplace drama, but in space. So that was the key idea I went into it with. And then again, you really see a lot of this, oh, but this guy is special, so we have to depend on him. This person is special. But I think one of the things I appreciated about it with and with any ensemble show really is that the idea of different people are special in different ways and that makes everyone an asset working together. And that's just cool to see play out in any context, isn't it? That's my spacey hippy dippy definition of that. But (laughs) (laughs) I, I really do just love seeing people get to be competent in their own way and help each other out through that. Well, not just competent. It seems like if you've made it to the Enterprise, you're someone who excels. It's the overachiever kid class, which is why Wesley fits in so naturally there. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not just that they're overachievers, but it's also you get to see a lot of people who don't necessarily get to participate as much in our time because they have something that we would consider disability, like Jordy being blind. Mm-hmm. But in the future, he has his visor and he actually has a superpower. Mm-hmm. Although everyone apparently still has to run a lot. <laughs> And Jordy gets to roll. Yeah. Jordy just 
he uh, he excels in rolling. Maybe he took a tumbling class as a kid and is just super proud of it. <laughs> I, I'm glad he gets to. It's just a lot of tumbling. <laughs> Do you think that's on his Starfleet resume? Really good at tumbling? I'm sure, I'm sure it's on his review, you know. <laughs> Full marks for rolling. He probably had a, a game at the academy where, you know, people would bet money to see if he could roll under a door before it shut. At the academy, that was his icebreaker trick. Like, hey, want to see me roll under a door? (laughs) (laughs) Always made it. (laughs) I I think the along with the you know the fact that you know special abilities would would actually become you know things that that are often considered disabilities become use uh, more useful and, and valuable is also the idea that things that we sometimes in our culture will assume will imply or culture implies as less valuable don't seem to matter. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not in one of the episodes we talked about here, but there was a moment in one of the early TNG episodes where Riker is there. They're under attack from something or other. And Riker looks to Tasha Yar and goes, you know, what are your recommendations? And she says, do this, 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 and this. He says, all right, let's do it. And that's it. You know, there was no, well, are you sure? Or, you know, you're new to this job. Do you really think, you know, maybe you should consult someone else? Like there was no, it was just like, you're there, you do your competence and you go. And I, I think that, you know, if, if I was going to instill it into a teamwork lessons from Trek, it would be, you know, always rely on the competence of your teammates, but don't assume that you are infallible. Like mm. it's, it's a combination of those two. And, and that, that always stuck out to me as, you know, you know, like we're saying, unlike in real life, they, they seem to have gotten into a, a more understanding, mutually valuable situation. There's definitely a balance and we see it shift at different points in Star Trek history between giving orders versus empowering your team members. And that example with Yar, I think, is is leaning t- more towards the empowerment. We see that a lot in, in Voyager, particularly too, where the leaders have a little bit more emotional intelligence, less so in Enterprise, where a lot of times it does feel like Archer mostly just wants to be right. But yeah, I think that's that's an interesting point too, that that even in this like hierarchical structure, there's an ability to listen to people and like allow for them to have opinions and expertise even when like you're ultimately the one responsible for giving the orders i can backpedal just a little bit here i also want to just add an asterisk here of we're not saying that someone's value is justified by how much they can bring to the table just to put that out there and to make sure that caveat is there oh yeah so one thing i wanted to bring up was i think that one of the ways that star trek has evolved over its history is by abandoning a bit of that idea of like you're only as strong as your team is only as strong as the weakest member um which is still something we hear like trotted out as like fact in in many situations and there's you know ideas of like friendship should be transactional or like teamwork should be transactional and everyone has to bring something to the table and i think that that is not really how life works and that it doesn't allow for for differing abilities and differing capacities and for recognition of things that might might be contributions outside of a traditional framework but i think that star trek has started to shift there and you know maybe even going back as early as as tng like there's examples of like we bring along the person that like we don't abandon a crew member we bring along barkley when barkley's having a hard time and in discovery you have like in the most recent season this like it's okay to not be okay with detmer this idea that like part of being a human is you're going to go through 
normal reactions to like really, really hard times. And you're going to have illness and you're going to have injury and like all of these things. We as a team, it means that we like pitch in to bring you along with us at those times. I got that really strongly in the uh, in Good Shepherd, that same thing. Like that was the entire purpose of it was to make sure that people that were graded as less than Starfleet capable or whatever, and, and make sure they were felt a part of the crew so that it was not leaving them behind. One leadership thing I learned from my dad that I absolutely love is that sometimes when someone on the team has an idea and you might not think it's the best idea, sometimes you go with that idea because it gives people ownership. Mm-hmm. It gives them confidence to come up with ideas in the future. And I do love going back to what you're saying about like Tasha Yar coming up with an idea and Riker being like, okay, let's go with it. I mean, I have to think that's also a part of his reasoning is, you know what, we're going to give Tasha a moment or we're going to give Worf a moment. Worf, who they say no to all the time anyways. but. <laughs> And Rutherford. Yeah, poor, poor Rutherford. But it, it builds a stronger team. Yeah, I mean, because people also need, I think, in a team to a degree to feel like they are important. And feeling like you're dispensable me- means that counters that a bit. And I think Star Trek has obviously long explored this tension between the needs of the one and the needs of the many. And the the way that I think that it's explored gets at that idea that, you know, every individual is important. But also the good of the whole is important. And that's, I think, a balance that you strive for in working with teams. Absolutely. I thought they did that really well with Discovery, too, at the end. Like, with all of the the arguments about, you know, it being focused on only one character, which, I, frankly, I didn't have a problem with that either. I would have enjoyed that series, too. I thought that the uh, the way that the team of the ship came together and everyone got their particular segment or their particular role as well as a role within the larger Starfleet that they discovered in the future. Like I said, I'm also one of those weird people that likes Picard. Apparently, I'm very much in the minority there. but <laughs> We accept all types here. Don't worry. Okay, thank you. Appreciate <laughs> that. I feel seen. I do love that even Emperor Giorgio has a place on the team in Discovery. And sometimes her place is just cutting through all the bullshit and taking a shortcut to the end result. Sometimes you need that. <laughs> She's getting them to their objective. Yeah. And one one thought that occurred to me when I was watching these episodes was thinking about in, uh, I was thinking about Voyager in particular, where I think, I think that's the one where they emphasize the crew as a family. And I was thinking about what's the difference between a, a team and a family? Because I think that there's, there's definitely some overlap. I think Voyager is a little bit more like a family because they're more than the others tied together by circumstance by chance a little bit versus the other ones, you know, characters come and, and go at their own agency based on, so they're, they're a part of the team as long as they're with that group, but also sharing in the mission. Voyager has that dynamic as well of the shared mission, but they also kind of, you know, do blur that boundary into more of like being a family and a family doesn't necessarily have to have a shared mission, just kind of you're all stuck together. I always think it's funny when people say, you know, it's like a family. It's like that just assumes that that is a happy word for a person. Mm -hmm. Because for a lot of people, that is like the scariest thing ever. (laughs) That's true. That's absolutely true. So one thing, Gray, you mentioned earlier is that there's a lot of like duo teamwork. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of that going back to Kirk and Spock. Can two people really be considered a team? I, I I have to say, I think they are. I'm not sure they're portrayed that way in, in Trek always. I mean, I, I'm thinking of the, I think it's Disaster, 
where it's like people tend to be paired up, like it's, you know, the doctor and Jordy and Riker and Data <laughs> and, you know, Picard and the children. And I think that, you know, those those situations did seem to be teamwork in that both people were, were sort of pulling their weight, but other situations, specifically the desert crossing comes to mind, did not seem to be, to me, to me to be, you know, teamwork at all. You know, it was loyalty, you know, it was, you know, hot beach volleyball. I mean, beach alien <laughs> sports ball. Beach lacrosse. Yeah, beach lacrosse. I mean, there, there was teamwork there. I mean, maybe that's, that's the, that's where the teamwork was in that game, but I didn't see it in the rest of the interactions. And I'm not sure especially in a hierarchical situation is it teamwork if one person is telling the other person what to do or that kind of situation i don't i don't know i sort of see disaster like an example of a relay race where you know they've they've mm. got all of these mini like sub teams of two that are basically handing off the baton like they're all doing a key part of getting the the team to the finish line but the team is the whole crew yeah mm-hmm. it's also a really good example of well, one of my favorite things I got to see when I was even briefly doing the management thing, different types of people have different types of dynamics when they work together. And you really do, it's like you sometimes when people are working together, you get a single cohesive person, but a different kind of person when they're working in tandem. And that's one of the cool things about disaster. We get to really showcase how these different people work together and the kind of situation they are when they are working together. I just thought that was neat. <laughs> yeah, I also I also like the fact that there's a level of trust, you know, uh, you know, we're we're going to light there's a, a part of it where, you know, we're going to light up those instrument panels and hope that somebody's actually down there looking at them. Yeah. You know, so there's a, so there's a, quite a few sort of Hail Marys going on that are that exemplify kind of that whole trust in other people's competence. Yeah, exactly. And I I always think of Crusher and LaForge working together and just being like, oh my gosh, they make a great dynamic together. They really did. Yeah. Why didn't we see more of that? <laughs> I have a question which just occurred to me was, do you think that it would be easier to build that kind of trust in and team relationships in a Star Trek-like future? Because there's less of a built-in sense of competition and like need to prove yourself for survival. I mean, one would really hope. We do see a lot of this kind of, I'm going to say forced sense of competition, it feels like, with Starfleet. Like, no, I'm going to try and get on the good squad, or no, I'm going to make command. And that always feels like something that's just kind of forced in there and storytelling-wise, because I feel like it would be a lot more of a kind of egalitarian setting of everyone being like, oh, no, we're all just doing our best. Does anyone else feel that way? Yes, they play with that in, what is it, the second Lower Decks? Yeah, 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 yeah. Where he's switching all of his jobs and everybody's like, what, you don't want to be with us? And everyone's super supportive about it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly the way I think it would be. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah, I I love that part. But we've got this kind of macho idea of I need to be the best that keeps showing up throughout Trek, and it always feels a little forced to me. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. It's a society where instead of competing for money, people are competing for basically recognition. It's true. So it seems like there would still be competition. And you have a prima donna in every culture. Or, or just competing to try and see who can do, you know, like, I want to do the most good. I want to be the very best like no one ever was. Right. <laughs> I want to invent the best science that will definitely destroy your ship. I'm going to medicine so hard. I'm about to disprove this cosmological theorem. You know, 
super fun. I do think we also get a bit less of that in the the newer tracks that there is more. I mean, starting, I would say, mm-hmm. from Deep Space Nine with, like, Jake being like, yeah, I don't really want to be in Starfleet. Yeah. That you get more recognition that, you know, if, if we <laughs> were in a society that, you know, the pinnacle of meaning in life was to be the captain of a starship like that society would fall apart so we need to acknowledge that like people are going to have different roles and that's cool jake as a character is such a great benchmark of that also because he's a character who we get to see as an example outside of starfleet being like no my benchmark for success is going to be personal fulfillment that is what i'm choosing and to see that that's a society where that can happen is awesome. Mm-hmm. Or his grandpa running a restaurant. Yeah. Though so I guess if you run a restaurant, you really do have to deal with restaurant critics as a mark of your success. That's true. Yeah. So I want to get into some of our favorite episodes that are examples of teamwork. But first, a couple of words from our sponsor. If you're not already into the wonderful world of tabletop role-playing games, then as a Star Trek fan, you owe it to yourself to check out the many Star Trek stories that exist in TTRPG form. One of our favorites of the podcast is run by our very own co-host, Aliza Pearl. It's an all-Klingon live play game with an all-star cast of actors and writers. Aliza and her crew tell Klingon stories like you've never seen before. And honestly, how often do we get to see a Klingon setting led by a woman storyteller? Never. Except on Blood of the Void. Check out this monthly game by catching up on the latest episode on YouTube. Or drop into the chat during their live show on the last Mondays of the month, 6.30pm Pacific at twitch.tv slash qtimes or go back to the very beginning of this lively campaign and watch it all the way through. And if you'd like to stay here in the realm of podcasts, Blood of the Void's first three episodes are now available in podcast form, and you can find them wherever you get your podcasts. So, Gray, let's talk about your favorite teamwork episode first. Favorite? I mean, uh, it, it's I, they almost are bookends. Like, my least favorite is probably the the first one, and the, the most favorite is the last one. The final episode of Lower Decks is just that there are there are so many. I mean, Lower Decks entirely is just a gem. But I think the the overarching thing, especially I, I watched it again before this podcast, and I think that one thing that stuck out to me is that not only did it do this thing of saying these things that we have seen as faults before are now turning out to be the things that are the very things we need. You know, storing contraband, making badgie, you know, things like that. <laughs> But there was also a, there, there is the arc of Rutherford. Like there's a moment in there where he's, you know, about to charge the enemy ship. And he's like, this is the most glorious day of my entire life, you know, because he has finally reached his, his ultimate purpose. And I thought, you know, his ultimate purpose is different than everybody else's in there, or at least in the, the main characters. And it was highlighting that, you know, even though his purpose was different and never seemed to be fulfilled when the right moment came, it was, and everyone, you know, celebrated and respected that. So it was this, this this combination of everybody from all levels of the decks, from command to lower decks, and getting in all of their different parts to work together to defeat an implacable enemy. And then at the very end, Team Starfleet comes in and helps them out even more. So, uh, and I guess also there's the fact that at the very, very end, you know, the, the team of lower decks actually kind of, you know, breaks up. Some people go off to another ship. And that is another important teamwork lesson. You know, teams are, regardless of how much you like them, teams are ephemeral, you know, and people go on to other places and you have to wish them well. So I just thought, you know, that what that one episode just epitomized everything that I was hoping to find in all the other episodes that when I suggested this topic. I love how Mariner, like Emperor Giorgio, is kind of 
on the surface, not at all a team player, but in the end, you need her on the team. Yeah. Yeah, very much. Grace and Jared, do you have any other thoughts on the Lower Decks episode? It's just so fun. We're talking about the finale, fundamentally. I think one piece that I wanted to draw attention to from so I, I love the episode and I love Lower Decks. Um, the the sh- we're talking about the the animated show, not the TNG episode, but I love that as well. But one of the pieces that this highlighted for me in Star Trek is we see a lot of examples of like needing or maybe not needing, but you know, characters who express their commitment to the team through self sacrifice. And like being literally in Star Trek, there are many examples of just like you ne- you are willing to die for your teammates, or also also order teammates to their death, which would be the area where this is like okay, I'm glad this is TV and not real life. Yeah, but I do. I mean, I guess it's it's because it's TV and it's because it's drama. I don't know that we carry those expectations of in that literal sense into like teens today, but we do have a bit of a similar issue when, um, and I know this isn't unique to not-for-profit culture, but in not-for-profit culture, there's a lot of discussion about like martyrdom complexes where like people are, who have a shared sense of purpose, who work for good causes are really like encouraged to go above and beyond for the cause, even when you know the the what they're doing like the hours they're working or the effort they're putting in would not be expected in in other types of jobs so that kind of like blurring the line of like what is a job and what is a mission star trek i think does kind of play into some of those narratives but i think that lower decks is is really fun and and shows a lot of you know kind of di- different roles for how you can contribute to a team there's a great amount of lot of uh getting to say okay Let's let these different people be great in their own way by their own personal definition of what they do well. It's pretty cool. And then the exocomp is just like, nah, I don't really want to die. Which peanut hamper, you jerk. Yeah. Although I just I loved the writers. There's like, oh look, there's the magic piece that suddenly doesn't fit. Oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> I guess it also talks about that the you know being open to creative thinking piece that that you were yes. bringing up earlier gray is also reinforced in that lower decks episode about how, you know, I think one of the the dangers of, you know, if if teams are running pretty well and everyone thinks they have a shared understanding of the mission and you don't actually you know, take time to check in on that is you can just kind of fall into patterns and and not necessarily think about newer, better ways of doing things or whether, you know, things still work when team members change. So I like that Lower Decks starts to get into that, you know, we need to think about just because this is the way we've always been doing things doesn't mean it's the best way or the right way. That that kind of feels like the overarching theme of both that and, and Discovery, really. Yeah. But yeah, that, that definitely was my favorite in seeing it. I did also... I really enjoy the various DS9 pieces, and and TNG, I think, does have some good ones. I, I sort of enjoyed The Good Shepherd as a as a topic, but that was more because Janeway is one of my, my three leadership archetypes that I, <laughs> I, I aspire to, and it, it occurred to me, you know, first of all, it's great that she try, you know, goes the extra mile to try and help out three people that are not fitting in quite well, but... There's also the sort of she's automatically smarter than any of them at everything, and I'm like, yeah, that's that's not the way it necessarily always works as a, in a leadership position, right? But <laughs> Discovery is the first step, a first series based around a single character constantly. 
Yeah. Right. She, she's, she's literally like, you know who was a good leader? Jesus. I'm going to go do the same thing. <laughs> Eat off my body. Exactly. <laughs> so, Grace, do you have a favorite episode you want to talk about? I did. I definitely put one in that I found intriguing, which was the enemy. And not just because it's enemy mine as a Star Trek episode. And that already is pretty fun to me. Wait, what's Enemy Mine? Sorry, fill us in. Enemy Mine is a movie that's the exact same plot as The Enemy of two people, of a human and an alien stranded on a planet together and and wanting to kill each other at first and then having to work together to get off this planet. Sweet. Yeah. Isn't that sort of the plot of Good Omens? A little bit, yeah. Like two enemies stranded on a planet. <laughs> basically, except <laughs> these guys don't become besties, I don't assume. I don't think. Huh. But basically, that's the gist of the episode. We've got Jordy as a human and Romulan stranded together. And they're not only not friends, they are bitter enemies and all that. And they both come from very different worldviews and very different skill sets. And they have to work together. And that's kind of the dream of teamwork, isn't it? That we can overcome all differences in the name of a better, of a greater good and a cause. Yeah. All you have to do is learn more about where the other person's coming from and then survive a life-threatening situation. That's all you have to do. It's just that easy. <laughs> it's like over and over and over again in these episodes because that's in Good Shepherd. It's in Learning Curve. Um, it's in Galileo 7, which I want to talk about. Um, so many episodes. I just thought this episode was... Such a pinpoint example of that. It is a great example. Yeah. I, I like the fact that they have to form the team there. Like, it's to the, the farthest thing from a team. And then it becomes that. that I mean, it, it just highlights the idea that working cooperatively and, and working as a team is a survival mechanism, which is true in real life. I mean, they always say that, you know, the the reality of disasters in, in humanity is not the whole, you know, dystopian every man for himself kind of situation but it's more about people cooperating and and becoming you know helping each other out because that is a survival mechanism that is how humanity has survived mm -hmm. I, I guess it's how romulans also survived in a way <laughs> i guess but it's also like starfleet principle in action of like yeah. overcoming your your differences and your prejudice for the common better good on a micro scale well it's like kirk and the klingons in right. general Jara, you mentioned the Galileo 7? Yes. Okay, so I definitely can't say this is my favorite episode, but it is one that I th think is important to talk about, partly because it like lays down this storyline that we see repeated over and over and over again in Star Trek. But this is the one where, where Spock is leading, also based on a movie called Five Came Back. Spock is leading a shuttle of seven people to a planet. Only five of them come back. But it's, this is more about like a, a crisis of leadership. And is sort of juxtaposing like Kirk's leadership style on the Enterprise with Spock's leadership style on the planet where people are dying and they want to have funerals for each other really hastily. But yeah. Spock is just basically like totally doesn't understand why he can't connect with the team members. Like in his view, logic should drive everyone and he doesn't understand how to like motivate people emotionally. But then also some of the crew members are super adversarial. So it, it creates a conflict and Spock tries to understand them a bit better at like McCoy's urging, but ultimately it's a life-threatening scenario that brings them all together and Spock has to make sort of a Hail Mary pass 
trying to get them rescued. And yeah, so it, this episode is more about a leadership, leadership styles or team leadership, because we don't really see the characters really working together other than a little bit Scotty trying to repair the shuttle. Scotty, I think, comes across great. Scotty is great in that. Oh, he's so wonderful. Yeah, like this A-plus Scotty episode. There's also Boma, who is the like most kind of adversarial of the, the people on the ship. There's two yellow shirts that get off pretty quickly. And then there's a yeoman. I'm just going to call her yeoman deadweight because uh, she <laughs> <laughs> just sits there and like kind of is like, what are we doing now? But, you know, they clearly were trying to make like a bit of a microcosm of, of the crew with like a little bit of diversity and a woman, even if she doesn't have much to do. But she's Veronica Cartwrighting there. She's there to react to everything that's happening. Yeah. So anyway, it has like some some germs of what could be kind of powerful lessons about teamwork and leadership. But I think it is unfortunately just kind of challenging because, well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of like, some things seem to happen too quickly. And some of the things just maybe aren't believable. But yeah, like, ultimately, it's it's about like logical versus emotional leadership and needing to understand where, where the other people are coming from to be able to build a team. So I, I think like there's some bigger concepts that are that are worth pulling out of that. This really is one of those episodes that should be shown at like management and leadership training stuff just to start off that conversation of sometimes the way you lead is not the way the people you are leading need to be led right now. Mm-hmm. And that's really important to remember. I, I hear you on that. And also at the same time, I, I, uh, and, and I am, I will admit some bias here because um, I, I served as a, as a Marine infantry. Oh, wow. And so watching, watching that particular episode and watching the way that the command structure was disregarded and criticized and things like that. I, I just had such a hard time with it. Oh, I bet. I mean, I would say, yes, put it in, in the management thing, but you know, if you remember from the episode, like, you know, they're out there, we have to have a funeral. Well, all right, I'll have your funeral. Oh, hey, look, you're about to die here. I'm going to run out here and have to save you all. And, you know, then the, you know, other aspects of, you know, at the very end, you know, he, he jettisons all the fuels. So they only have six minutes left. And everybody's like, oh, you just didn't care. And can't believe you did that. And what an awful person. Well, guess what? That happens to be the thing that saves them all. Yeah. And so I think, you know, the, the beyond the lesson of just, Sometimes the leadership style you have is not the emotional thing your your employees need. There's the follow-up of, and sometimes that's what's needed to get yep. the mission done. Yep. Like they don't have to be happy. I think that this would have worked a lot better on multiple fronts if they had been stranded on this planet for a longer period of time. Yeah, I didn't understand why they didn't just go deliver the vaccines and come back. Yeah, there was a lot of, of pieces. I mean, especially watching this, you know, knowing that Kirk is just like, no, I'm not delivering your stupid vaccines. We're going to like wait until these people have inve- investigated this quasar, you know, during COVID. That doesn't hold up. But also, I, I just feel like, yeah, maybe they're stranded on this planet for, you know, two weeks and they really aren't sure they're getting rescued. And Spock during this whole time has been, you know, seeming like he is more interested in you know, maybe not interested in rescue. Maybe he's interested in like survival for a few, but like pretty open that like he's considering leaving people behind or whatever. Then you can see like some of that anxiety starting to build and that being a more realistic reaction. But it just felt like it was too fast and, 
you know, why are they insisting on having funerals when like the enterprise is not that far away? <laughs> so I think it would have it worked better if like the the survival stakes were higher. I definitely think this was an inspiration for I think it was yesterday's Enterprise where Data is in command and the one crew member is being so antagonistic. And I actually think Next Gen did a better job of showing that and how to deal with it. I think Data did a lovely job of dealing with that officer. It's not yesterday's Enterprise, but I'm forgetting the name of, of the episode right now. But I do know which one you mean, and I agree. Any other thoughts on Galileo 7? It would be a great band name. <laughs> I will say that I think Learning Curve did it better of the, you know, Learning Curve, the Voyager episode where Tuvok has to, you know, bring into line the yes. Maquis yeah. troublemakers. It's essentially the same plot, but the the like conflict feels a lot more realistic and the steps that they take feel a lot less ridiculous. You gotta love with a 50-year franchise, we're able to say, but another series did it better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 30 years later. (laughs) 30 years later, they finally got it down. So much running. So much running. And I I don't know, I guess maybe just that I am not a runner. I hope that there is like Starfleet methodology for instilling team discipline that does not always involve running. (laughs) (laughs) Today I learned management is 80% jogging. <laughs> Teamwork. I mean, they had that with uh, Tilly uh, um, in, uh, in the Discovery they as did, well. They did, yeah. You know, when, she, when she was studying, yeah, she did, still did running then. So, But only because she wanted to get into leadership. Up until then, she wasn't having to run. So maybe that's the trick. Just don't try to be a captain. <laughs> It also seemed like Michael was, again, recommending it as, like, a way to, to facilitate discipline as, like, something that worked for her. It didn't seem like it was, like, Starfleet makes you run a marathon every day. Speaking of discovery and teamwork, my, my actually, my sister, when I was mentioning that I was coming on this podcast, said that she's always been impressed with the team that Tilly and Stamets make. Like, mm. the two of them together just seem to be, like, this powerhouse of being able to do anything, so... Cool. And now with Jet Reno. Yay. Yes. Oh, so <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Gotta love that Jet Reno is just universally loved. Yes. <laughs> oh, Lucky. goodness. Jet Reno and her licorice. <laughs> oh. So moving along from the Galileo 7 to the Magnificent 7. Yay! I mean, Magnificent Ferengi. So this is one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek, period. Oh, it's so great. I especially love it for this episode of our show because... You have the Ferengi facing this incredibly strong and intimidating enemy, but they succeed and they succeed because of teamwork. And as I was like really looking at this episode, I was like, oh, this sounds a lot like agile teamwork, which is a methodology for software development. But if you go through their principles, a lot of what they do apply to what we see in the episode. So one of them is the highest priority is to satisfy the customer. So they have to save Moogie. For the Grand Nagus, you build your projects around motivated individuals. This is when you see Quark offering the bars of latinum from a pot that gets smaller and smaller every Mm -hmm. time a new person comes along. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The most efficient and effective method of conveying information to and within a team is face-to-face conversation. So instead of communicating via screens, they all meet on the station and they practice in the holosuite. The team reflects on how to become more effective, then tunes and adjusts behavior accordingly. So you see them trying to be like a federation team and come in with phasers ablazing, and it all goes horribly wrong. And then they're like, wait a second, this is not what we need to do as Ferengi. 
what do each of us do well? Let's do that. And where does Iggy Pop work into this mechanic here? Ah, that is the last uh, principle I was going to mention, which is welcome changing requirements, even late in development. (laughs) So they get to the abandoned station and Iggy Pop comes in with an entire army and they're like, crap, what are we going to do? They accidentally shoot their hostage and they have to, (laughs) you know, change the plan on the run. But yes, because they're they're able to adapt, they are able to succeed. That was impressive. Dude, I was saying that as a joke and it actually worked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Full disclosure, in another life, I was a certified scrum master. So yes, ah. I totally agree with all of these things. It's funny, too, that their their shared purpose is essentially money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, Except for the one guy who just wants to kill. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> they found the one bloodthirsty Ferengi. He's not like other Ferengi. We all knew he had to be out there. <laughs> I mean, and there is a degree to which risk brings together groups. You know, there's a shared risk as well as shared reward. I, I mean, there's a degree to which that's unhealthy and you wouldn't want to see that in a, like a workplace. Especially not where <laughs> but, your mother's safety is involved. No. Yeah, not not to that degree of literalness. But you, you do have like this element of, of you need to, you know, put yourself out there if you're developing like a new idea. And then being, I like that, that point about being able to adjust course, which is a problem you can have if your teams are like ginormous. And uh, then like, depending on the roles that people play, if everyone is empowered in a team, then like sometimes uh, changing course can be challenging to do quickly. Oh, yes. I've done a lot of theater and- You've worn so many hats. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's true. But (laughs) I have worked with a few sort of theater by consensus groups. And as much as I would love to, you know, be all hippy dippy and say yes, this is the way to do it. It has, you know, everybody. I hate that. I want to have one person and a team that's going to realize their vision, and then it can be somebody else's turn to realize someone else's vision. But for that one project, we need to have somebody that is directing it. Otherwise, it's just a mess of compromise and different directions that don't work well. Don't worry, I can be hippy dippy for the both of us. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that whole. In terms of, you know, it doesn't have to be necessarily life-threatening, but it can also just be time-intensive. For for world builders, our team, we actually had an entirely new team a year ago. There was a lot of turnover at the organization, and even the one person who did was left over from the previous one was in a different role. So it was all of us kind of learning how the organization works and how to work together at the same time. And we started with small, you know, fundraisers, but each one has a you know, we're going to fundraise during this time and there's a lot of prep that goes into it. And then you go through this intense thing and you come out the other side and you're like, oh, how'd that go? And like you say, the, the agile thing, you review it and you try and do better next time. So I find that while life-threatening doesn't necessarily have to do it, it's definitely that if you can turn it into a story, which I think is what these, these Drake episodes do is, you know, you turn your own situations into a story that helps to create that team because you have these things you can say, hey, remember when we did the end of your fundraiser with the Women of Warp and how awesome they were on the channel and things like that, you know, that, that becomes a, a part of that uh, bond in the team. Oh yeah. I mean, think about how many, you know, Star Trek shows kick off with the captain making a big motivational speech of, of some kind. So <laughs> there's definitely that bit of kind of, you know, narrative construction to, to, to give folks a sense of, of the bigger purpose and the fact that their role is important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My dad's office, when I worked for him a while back, 
we would have a staff meeting every Thursday, and there was time set aside in that meeting every week for process improvement. And for anyone to say like, okay, we're having a bottleneck at this point in the process, and anyone could come up with suggestions on how to improve it. And we would constantly improve our processes for going through tax returns. And it gave everybody a sense of ownership in what was going on, even though they were an employee. Yeah, the the ownership, the sense of ownership, I think is important. I think that I'm trying to think of different examples of that within the, the Trek episodes, aside from just the general the the general Starfleet mission, but I think that's kind of the problem in the uh, in the Good Shepherd is that none of the people feel like they have a stake mm. in things, especially the one who's the cosmologist. Like he just he doesn't care about Starfleet or exploration, and he hates space and things like that. And I think that it, trying to instill a sense of ownership is is a difficult task sometimes because it, it, they never show there's somebody who doesn't actually get in the team. You know. The, the benefit of the narrative structure is they get to just write it in a happy ending and look, everyone everyone did their their thing even even though this person died you know he did he died fulfilling his most joyful day of the world and so I think that you know there's a there's a limit to how much lessons we can get from it I guess would be the way to, would be what I'm trying to say I mean they do kind of do that and take me out to the hollow suite when Cisco won't let Rom on the team mm. and then at the mm. end that becomes more important. <laughs> Yeah. Than, than Cisco's original objective. I feel like the holodeck episodes are some of the few examples we have of like teams forming a little bit more organically outside of the team Starfleet. Like we're just doing this adventure together because of like our work roles. And so taking it to the hall suite is, is one thing. They need enough people to make a baseball team. And, you know, it's pretty funny that, you know, we're almost an hour into this episode and have barely talked about sports, given that we're talking about teams. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not surprising. We made it eventually, didn't we? But, like, similarly with, like, you know, uh, um, Bride of Chaotica is another one that I was thinking where there, you bring together, you know, you have, like, Tuvok and the Doctor on a team because of the way that they're working in the holodeck. Tom and, and Harry doing adventures together on the holodeck because they're friends. You have Data and Jordy doing... Sherlock Holmes and then Pulaski comes in. So I, I like the holodeck provides some more opportunities for these kind of more like teams of choice to form. Or Bada Bing, which is both yes. a holodeck episode yeah. and a caper episode. Yeah. And they're, just because they're all <laughs> friends with Vic. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like even though it's like one of the most hated episodes, I love Move Along Home. <laughs> <laughs> I love it to pieces. They definitely are a team and they do things together. <laughs> they group problem solve yes sort of eventually in like the escape room from hell <laughs> yep i didn't even realize that's one of the most hated but i can definitely understand why <laughs> it's wonderful it's like i think it's like the first time you see any character development from quark it's true yeah who's kind of forced yeah. to be a part of the team yeah that's a very good point oh and also you you also had it on your list but just um i i feel like i can't let the episode finish without bringing up bar association yeah <laughs> which the team of, of workers against the oppressor quirk yes <laughs> communism the ultimate form of teamwork <laughs> smile at the camera it's such a delightful episode and you just you have to love rom kind of sticking his neck out there for for what becomes a cause and you know you're rallying people based on kind of a bit more of a like an enlightened self-interest and the need for solidarity and it's lovely unionize support your local unions yes 
And then you also have, you know, the rest of the crew trying to decide what side of the team, like what team to pick. And I still don't believe that Worf would cross the picket line, but... I absolutely believe that (laughs) O'Brien would tackle him for crossing a picket line, though. Yeah, well, and isn't that, like, what happens is they all end up in jail because of that? Yeah, so, like, I absolutely believe that part, but, yeah, but that is also kind of the thing is, like, all the other folks get roped into the kind of the team drama. Like, are you going to be on Team Quark or Team Rom? See it so much as Worf making a conscious screw this union decision so much as a i'm tired i don't give a crap decision yeah which is just as bad do do the movies count i mean are we yeah yeah, why not we we really haven't mentioned that much at all and i i was thinking that uh in particular the voyage home that one i think and that one i think always you know made me think of, of teamwork it's like hey we have a we have a clear mission we have to do and everybody has their roles that plays to their strengths, although, you know, check off on an aircraft carrier is just <laughs> hilarious. Or we have things that we think will play to their strengths, but they don't necessarily, like, you know, the uh, Scotty and the computer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, in a meta way, is also a really good form of teamwork of the actors and showing just what they're all good at and showcasing exactly. that. And that just makes for a good movie. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's always been one of my favorites. Yeah. I think that the movies do that, you know, splitting people off into groups of two a lot. That And Voyage Home is an example of that. It's pretty fun. I mean, it's one of the few ways you can get an ensemble feel while still covering your bases of a plot. Star Trek Beyond also does a good example of that, where they, they've got like Sulu and Uhura off doing a thing and Scotty's and the forest with Jayla and... So there's that. First Contact has like the team on the planet and the team on the ship. So yeah, there's there's definitely a few movies that that I think capture more of that ensemble feel by by creating kind of mini teams. You know that that brings to mind the uh, Spock, Kirk, and Uhura in Star Trek Into Darkness, uh, which is I think the only time I can think of that sort of interpersonal relations in a team is kind of highlighted and how that can cause both friction and hilarity within within interactions yeah i mean we we do have some other examples of like love triangles threatening teams like paris and neelix's conflict that they have to resolve by saving an alien baby in i want to say parallax <laughs> you know that classic plot point of a throwing alien baby into the mix yeah such a hackneyed cliche you're having relationship troubles you have an alien baby we can deliver to you <laughs> Yeah. Tale as old as time. And there's definitely, like, <laughs> Picard definitely gets into the, the more fraught areas of, of like, inter-individual issues interfering in a, in a team cohesion. Mm, that's true. Which honestly makes, I think, so, to some extent, a bit more realistic kind of situation. I, mm-hmm. I, I sort of wish there had been more in-depth things. I, I mean, it's fun to watch everything work together like clockwork. That's why we like the caper films. But But at the same time... I do enjoy the, hey, this didn't go so well. We have to deal with this stuff. And how are we going to do that? And what happens afterwards? Okay, what's plan B? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know who I think the tightest knit team in all of Star Trek is? Who? Is the the genetically enhanced people that Dr. Bashir works with (laughs) on Deep Space Nine. Oh. (laughs) They heist their way out of their medical jail and into deep space. That's pretty awesome. I yeah I have so many. I'm gonna leave that for another episode. My thoughts on <laughs> Bashir, Bashir's uh, genetically engineered pals. Another band name right there. <laughs> God. 
I mean, speaking of genetically engineered, there's all of Khan's people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they're they're definitely a team, at least in the movie, when they're allowed to be, you know. Yeah, as opposed to, like, Soong's augments that are just, like, I mean, they're loyal to him. And they're all very clearly J-Crew models. Yeah. <laughs> but they're not that hard to turn against each other, and same with the uh, the synths in Picard. I think it's because they're all teenagers, and as teenagers, we all hate each other. <laughs> <laughs> Do the Borg count as a team? I was just thinking that, yes. <laughs> not a great example of a cohesive team, but... Ah! I mean, aren't they all one organism? So therefore, you know. Yeah. What were you saying about consensus-based decision making? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I feel like it's actually the opposite. Even though it's called a collective, it is actually the opposite. Like in in that it is like a brutal, inhumane efficiency. Right. I agree. I I think it's yeah. This is the anti-team. How about the exocomps? Hmm. Maybe if we'd gotten to see more of them. Yeah, I don't know. I, f- I feel like Peanut Hamper kind of took down the Exocomp <laughs> brand. Peanut Hamper, the Lando Calrissian of Star Trek. Ooh, how about the first duty as Ooh. an example of yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. hey, part of your teamwork means uh, lying to protect your friends. Covering each other's asses. <laughs> so I think we're coming up on an hour. That's about all the time we have today. Gray, where can people find you on the internet? So you can find World Builders on Twitter at World Builders, pretty easy, and on Instagram at World Builders Inc. Inc. So that's uh, those are our main socials. I would love it if people would come and visit our World Builders Weekly, which we have a Twitch Twitch.tv/WorldBuilders every Tuesday at noon Central Time. We uh, have authors and artists and creators and game designers and geeks doing good which we've also just turned into a some of the episodes into a podcast as well worldbuilders.org slash podcast but just yeah if you pay attention to when we do our fundraisers because they are a lot of fun you know even even if you can't donate just come and enjoy the the different talks and the guests uh, that we have, as as you know, Sarah, we we have a lot of fun people, and we also do sell really cool, awesome stuff uh, to help fund our mission in uh, WorldBuildersMarket.com. So those are the places to to find us, and we're all around the the socials. There's too many for me to list. <laughs> but basically, if you look up, if you if you search for World Builders or Geeks Doing Good, you'll find us, and we'd love to hear from you. Well, thank you so much for being here today. And Jara, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. Very cool. And Grace, where can folks find you? Find me on Twitter at BonecrusherJank. And you can also find me writing for the Women at Warp blog. And I'm Sarah Goldie. And you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Miyoko, S-A-R-A-H, M as in Mary, I-Y-O-K-O. And you can find my fanzine, Star Trek Quarterly, on Facebook. To learn more about our show or to contact us, visit womenatwarp.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp. You can also email us at crew at women at warp.com. And for more Roddenberry podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. And thanks, folks. And we'll see you next time. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com.